Well, hello there, and welcome to another episode of Wolves Fancast, and it's the fifth inductee into the Wolves Fancast Alternative Hall of Fame. But as you know, it's what we call. It's the first annual Montgomery Burns Award for Outstanding Achievement in. Before we get into this inductee, if you've got iTunes and you like what you hear, why not give us a five-star review and a comment on iTunes to help up this Wolves podcast up the iTunes chart. If you've not heard our previous inductees before, you can find them on our previous episodes. Uh, they are Nina Milias, John DeWolf, George Kobe, and George Endar. Uh, but on this episode of Wolves Fancast and this induction into our alternative Hall of Fame, we're talking about this man. Sacco! Wow! That's one way of wrapping it all up. It's an absolutely brilliant hit. It had been years since Molyneux had seen a bona fide superstar. Then, on a late summer evening in Northampton, one of Stolas Olbacken's many signings in the summer of 2012 came off the bench. He had blue streaks in his hair and a swag in his step. Within minutes, he scored a thunderbolt which nearly blew the goalposts off. Solbach and his staff celebrated with glee on the prospect of this Marlian winger. Little did they know how much he was about to dazzle Molyneux. A superstar was born, that star was Bakary Sacco. It is the fifth inductee into the Fancast Alternative Hall of Fame. Welcome everybody on the Skype line today. Gully's here. Hi guys. Uh, Rich is here as well. Hello. Just about there. Yeah, I think it cut off when you said hello, Rich, but we'll take it as hello. Oh, hello, everyone. <laughs> right, we're going to talk about uh, Bakary Sacco. He joined Wolves in August 2012 for about £2.2 million from St Etienne, and he was at Wolves for three years. Uh, Gully, I'll come to you first on this one. Would you say that Sacco is one of the most exciting players we've had at Wolves in the modern era? It's that in the back of a subway in Alicante watching it on um, a grainy most likely illegal stream um, when we were playing it was on TV wasn't it I'm pretty certain yeah, this game was, against yeah. Northampton was, for, yeah. whatever re- for whatever reason um, obviously everyone thought you know some really exciting times were about to come to Wolverhampton um, and decided to broadcast it on television um, and uh, seeing you know this kind of blurry, you know, football being smashed into the back of the net um, by Bakri Sacco and uh, it was all very exciting um, to, to tell you the truth at that point. Um, and yeah, like you say, it's, it, he kind of started as he meant to go on. Uh, everything about him uh, as a footballer was really exciting, whether it was him achieving something on the pitch, failing to do something on the pitch. It was all, you know, very much about entertaining everyone Um you know, and uh, you know he'll always be fondly remembered at Molyneux for sure. Rich, one of the most exciting players in the modern time. Yeah, I think he, after what three years in the Premier League of defensive-minded football, to say the least. Um, you know, we, we were playing to try and not lose, um, and a lot of uh, players and. Positions where you expect a lot of flair from the wide positions that we had um, in the Premier League. Don't get me wrong, Jarvis was fantastic. 
um, during his spell at Wolves and, you know, he was one of our shining stars while we were in the Premier League. But we never really had someone who could light up a stage, uh, so to speak, under McCarthy in that same way that we'd get fans off their feet and we'd get neutrals turning heads as well. And I think sort of Gully Carve said it, he was almost an entertainer first and a footballer second um, in many ways. And... Yeah, he almost sort of set the way for someone almost like Traore eight years on in terms of when he got on the ball, you expect something fantastic to happen. And, you know, in a way, that's kind of what you want in a footballer. Um, Yeah. I mean, we're going to go a bit more into his career at Wolves. One of the things I noted down here is near the latter period of his time at Wolves, some people would start calling him a luxury player because he perhaps was very sporadic at times. There'd be times where perhaps you would think he did nothing for 89 minutes and also now nowhere he'd fire a 30-yard scream in the back of the net. Was he a bit of a luxury player at Wolves? Um, I think... Not yeah. really. Sorry, yeah, I think to begin with, he could have appeared that way because he was in a, a dysfunctional team, um, quite disjointed, didn't really necessarily know how to get the best out of him, but he still managed to score 10 goals uh, in his opening season. Thereafter, I don't know how anybody could possibly um, question his contribution to the club um, because we had a good manager in place. We had a really nice, um, you know, good team in place. League One, admittedly, and then obviously the championship season, which was his final season. But he was joint top scorer in both seasons. Who on earth is uh, questioning him as a luxury player? I'd love to know, honestly. Come forward. No, <laughs> say who you are. <laughs> no, I think I think Gully's kind of completely right. I mean, the only way you could describe him as a luxury player, sort of Dave said, is almost he coast through you know periods of time. Like he's probably coast through like half an hour of games, and to a level, especially League One, it was because he was playing at a level well below his standard and. You know, the fact he could almost pretty much turn it on and off at the drop of a hat. But I don't think you could really ever kind of question his his actual output um, when you kind of look at how many goals, you know, I've, I'll save it until later, but when you compare him to other players who, you know, other players um, during their time at Wolves and their kind of output, it stacks up pretty high. So I think, it would be incredibly reductionist to kind of just call him a luxury player because he was a bit fancy. Ooh, reductionist. That's a fancy I word know. as well. <laughs> fancy player, <laughs> fancy words. Someone's been listening to the set-piece menu. <laughs> Get that Scrabble board out. Well, look at my <laughs> word. Um, we'll look at some stats, gentlemen. At Wolves, in all, in, all the, in all competitions, 124 appearances, 38 goals. Uh, I'm not going to ask you to name all those goals, Jant, don't worry. But I just want to ask if any any wonderful goals, because he, he didn't really score average goals, did he? he? He basically scored very delightful goals. I wonder if there's any goals in particular for you that stood out at Sacco's time. Uh, Gully, you first. I, 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 was, I was doing the whole YouTube compilation before I... Uh, yeah, same. I I, 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 when I was doing some research, I had a look, and it is a fun watch, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I could sit and do it without the need for coming onto a podcast and talking about Bakri Sacco. It's perfect toilet filler. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, I think the the ones that that I recall best are 
the right-footed half volley against Leicester away on TV, which yes. is just an absolute bolt from the blue, which you know totally came out of nowhere because we were pretty rubbish at the time as well. Anyway, um, for him to do that was pretty incredible, and that was the kind of stuff that he he, he could pull out a drop of a hat. Obviously, the um, Sheffield United um, at home screamer in the last minute, yeah, which really um, made the the, the whole goal won. itself fall apart. Yeah, yeah, and there's one, there's one I saw um, for another one from the league one season. It's against, Car- I think it's against Carlisle uh, away, where he's he's kind of running down the left side, and he kind of approaches the, hitting the ball as if to say to the keeper, like, look, you might as well move out of the way because either the ball's going in or you and the ball are going into the back of the net <laughs> together, and he just hits this. Keeper makes some kind of movement towards it, but it's, it, he just basically is, you know, crossing his fingers and hoping that he doesn't die at some point. Um, is that the one? Shot, is that the one where it it literally sticks to the floor and goes to the bottom? Yeah, right. it's really low struck, but he just hits it with this kind of, you know, ridiculous technique. He kind of punts it, um, and you know, it's all it's all quite relaxed from Sacco, to be brutally honest. But he doesn't look like he hits it with any anger at all. But the, the, the shot just flies into the bottom corner. It's unbelievable his technique. Uh, Rich, any for you that stand out? Yeah, again, similar to Gully, I sort of had a very fun few minutes. Um, but I found it on YouTube actually. Um, it's like all his goals from his uh, last season at Wolves, so his last one in the sort of championship. And again, you go through the reel and. I think there's about three ordinary-ish goals. All the others, there's something wonderful about them. For me, for, for one which kind of sticks out is uh, a free kick he scored against Millwall, yeah. uh, which was like almost hugging the touchline. And I think what I love so much about it, obviously like the technique behind it is really impressive to kind of get it right up and over and deceive the goalkeeper. But he then scored another one later in the season. I can't quite remember who it was against. Um, it was a bit nearer in, and I'm going. I'm sure he scored one like this, uh, like six months before. And you know, his free kicks would either do like one of like uh, two things: they'd either like break the net, or they'd end up in the south bank. Um, and like, it was the way he'd just be able to hit a ball with such kind of nonchalance, but aggression at the same mm. time. Uh, it just like it's so easily married up. Um, also, a bit of a weird one. He scored a couple of, like, really, again, really casually sort of taken penalties, but was so crisp in that technique. Mm. Um, you know, again, it's a fun compila- compilation to watch. Oh, yeah, I did all the same as well, Jen, to look through some of the, the compilations and some that stuck out to me. There's one against Fulham at home where he kind of goes past two or three yeah. players and just strikes it, like you say, just with casualties, but it's like a thunderbolt. There's a one-on-one with a keeper at Rotherham away. I think I think it was Rotherham away. It was one of these nights where Dicker and Sacco, especially just going forward, were just unstoppable. And he just gets it past the keeper. The keeper almost like seems to give up when Sacco approaches goal. And the Walsall free kick away, where it just comfortably yeah. nestles in the, the bottom right-hand corner, just with ease again. He's almost got like the minutest gap to get it in, and he still squeezes it in. Yeah. Um, yeah, and no, totally. And... Sorry. No, go um, on. Go on. I, I, I'm spoiler, a bit of a spoiler alert. You mentioned the one at Fulham. I, I know I've been writing a series about you know, the best individual performances that I've seen from Wolves players. That game, um, Fulham at home, I think, and um, I'll be featuring that 
uh, from the perspective of Bakri Sacco, because I think that day, it, it was just one of those days where he was absolutely unplayable. Um, because you know, which was his want to do at certain times if he decided to switch it on. So a bit more looking to his career now. When he started off at Wolves in 2012, he was a, a regular feature. Consistently kept him between Solbach and Saunders. He got 10 goals and, and 11 assists. But he very much became what Costa did in the 2016-17 seasons, where there was a bit of reliance on him. It's very much the case he gives gives Saka the ball and help, hopefully he does something with it. But his season came to an abrupt end with a few games to go after he uh, had a hamstring injury at home against Bristol City. Just, am I right in thinking, we mentioned this at the live show, is this where the famous Dean Saunders quote comes from about the hamstring? Uh, one of Dean Saunders' quote says, it doesn't matter if his hamstring goes, he's got all summer to get over it. Is that about Sacco? I've got a feeling it might be. Ooh, I, I've, think I vividly might. remember him going off with this, I think, and kind of absolutely crapping myself, to be honest. Um, I could be know, completely wrong. Fearing the worst. But just... yeah, it sounds, it sounds about right. Um... Talking about that League One season, do you think? I know we had E Banks Blake as well uh, when he went off injured against Birmingham in that win. Do you think Wolves would have stayed up if Sacco was fit for those remaining games, or was it the case of the inevitable was coming? I know. I, I similar. I, I made a note about that because he sort of tore it in um, early March, and I think we won a couple of games afterwards. We beat Middlesbrough, I think, the next game. We actually beat Bristol that day. Um, beat Middlesbrough and I think we beat Hull but then we lost to Charlton um, and I think there was another team who I'd say we could have potentially beaten as well Was that Barnsley? It's, yeah um, I don't know I think it would have been my fear uh, would have been that if he had uh, stayed fit for the rest of the season and he had somehow kept us up by a point would we have then still had Dean Saunders going in as manager into the preseason, and probably, frankly, even more going into an actual full season? Um, and you know, what shit store we'd have been left with um, if we'd have ended up uh, staying up that year? What do you think, Golly? Do you think he would have would have gone down or not? Yeah, it was I kind of um, lost in 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 the sands of time for me that he'd actually got injured at, at that point in the season. But let's be honest. Um, he was a bit of a, a talisman for us at the time. Um, I think I, I don't remember Saunders necessarily getting the best out of him though. At the same time, um, which he wasn't doing for many, very many footballers at all. Let's be let's be fair. Um, but you know, he, he, he didn't. Sacco wasn't necessarily one of those players who needed a manager to try and you know and to, to, for him to play well. He he just kind of played off the cuff. And if he decided that he wanted to do something brilliant, and I'm sure there would have been moments thereafter after that injury where Sacco just decided that he wanted to do something brilliant and he'd win us a game. Yeah, he's an absolute match winner in that regard. So probably, yeah. And we'd be stuck with Dean Saunders to this day. Um, when Wolves were relegated to League One um, in the summer, Wolves had bids from both Fulham and Forest, but both were turned down. And famously, he didn't play in a game against Port Vale, which I think was a 3-1 win away, uh, because uh, Kenny Jackett said he wasn't in the right frame of mind to play, given the transfer speculation. I want to go on a bit more about League One in this section. But where do you, uh, Rich, I'll come back to you first. Where do you stand on that? A player... Or Sacco at that time saying he wasn't in the right frame of mind to play. Is it the right thing for a player, or should he still be doing his duty and 
getting on the pitch? It, it, it's a really tough one because, again, you've got parallels that season because, of course, Wayne Hennessy uh, later on did something very similar and got a lot of stick for it. And I think a lot of it comes down to how the player approaches it, I guess. Um, so I, I think in sort of Hennessy's case, he'd been out for a while. He'd been given an opportunity and then had sort of said, I, you know, I, I don't want to play. I've got an opportunity to move to Palace. Um and with Sacco, I think he put in the mileage in the championship to earn a move, uh, so, so to speak. And, you know, he never, I think, personally, I can cope with it because of the way he responded. And he didn't, you know, I, I'd made a note that obviously this happened. And I, I remember finding an article looking at um, um, some stuff about Sacco and saying he didn't can't go on strike and he didn't hand in a transfer request or any of the sort of the big power moves he could have done um, and I think to sort of actually if his head's being turned if he's not quite right to play then he probably did the right thing by you know not um, by, by not participating but then actually to turn it around when you know the bit either the bid got rejected or it broke down I can't remember quite how it happened then to go on and have the season he had I think sort of says quite a lot about the man of the player himself what do you think? Yeah, I, th- I think that <laughs> I've always found it a strange one to decide not to play because in my head, very simple head, nothing's going to change during those 90 minutes, um, whether it's, uh, you know, discussions with another club to actually move forward the transfer or anything. So part of me is just like, why don't you just play? Like, you got nothing better to do. <laughs> Referee tells yeah. him like halfway through. Oh, you know that they've put another bid in. Yeah. Oh, what? What? Let, let me just negotiate with my agent. He's in the stands. And if he's be financially motivated, you might get a goal bonus by bagging um, a couple during the game. So um, let's look yeah. at the the bigger picture here, guys. But at the time, um, it was all very frustrating and annoying because. We'd started the season, we looked like we'd been set, we're settling down, and that would have thrown us out of kilter quite badly, from what I remember. Um, we obviously got the Lee Griffiths, uh, Lee Hughes tribute act um, as a result, so maybe it was a blessing in disguise. Um, but, you know, he was the one player that's, that was absolutely walking the league and us maybe being a bit, you know, um, winning it so you know it, it was quite a nervous time for us all I think as the season went on then after that obviously he stayed um, and it was only really when Dicko arrived in January did he really find his form he was the joint, joint top goal scorer with Griffiths uh, that season for Wolves and was part of the League One PFA team for the season um, that partnership between Dicko and Saka they, con- they almost became these like best friends on the field and off the field how special do you think uh, that partnership was in League One Gully? I think um, that I, in terms of partnership, I can't remember a better one as a, as a Wolves fan at the club anyway. Um, I mean, we've seen Jimenez and Jota probably uh, strike up something of a partnership as well, but never seen two players kind of so in sync on the, on the, on the same football pitch. Um which uh, was a breath of fresh air, um, and they were both brilliant as well. <laughs> which uh, you know, a hell of a lot of fun to watch. 
Um, it was all about the dance, and foremost. It? All about the dance. Yeah, it was. It was, and you know, um, rustling Warsaw fans as well. Um, <laughs> Paul Lindsay. Was, you know that they they kind of um, you know they had the whole package in that sense. They were yeah, impossible to dislike uh, unless they were um, unless you're an opposition fan, of course. Um, and this just this ridiculous pace and power that was so you know kind of exhilarating, and being able to enjoy them doing it at a level that they were far and away too good for was just a really nice experience to have as a football fan I think you know we, we always look back on the league one season as you know you know what it was just fun because week after week pretty much down to them two for the second half of that season and um, Jacobs although he didn't fit into the song unfortunately did he Tried to squeeze in, it didn't work. How about you, Rich? Good partnership for you? Oh, of course. I think, um, you know, it, it feels an incredibly nostalgic thing to have a a strike partnership, doesn't it? And, you know, with the days of a lone striker, it's kind of quite hard to have that. But Sacco, because of his position, he always sort of, you know, the fact he could almost do what he wanted whenever he was on a football pitch. He almost had this license to drop inside and to link up play with Dicko. And, you know, I, it, it feels quite simple, doesn't it, to say, well, actually, they seem to get on really well off the pitch. And it seems that they just carry that relationship mm. onto the pitch as well. And, you know, the, fact, the little bits of movement that Dicko would do, the sort of the quick one-twos just to release one another. Sometimes it felt like it was newer, you know, it was Dicko and Sacco and nine other players behind them. It wasn't that they were carrying the team, so to speak, but they wanted to play mm. uh, with each other. And then uh, whoever was behind them, it didn't really matter, um, so long as it was them two. And then, you know, the season after, of course, when they bring in a phobie, and it kind of gives them this whole other, you know, weapon, and, you know, the trio of them and how they kind of operated together. I think that was, you know, that was almost like, having, you know, the crown jewels, wasn't it? Hey, it's This is what renting furniture with Feather looks like. Pieces that fit your style and your space and cost less than your monthly phone bill. Oh, and did we mention delivery and assembly included? Feather. Start renting at livefeather.com.
David here. Now, I know you. You love a bloody good website, don't you? Look, come on, you do. You like a good website. If you're on your phone, you're on your computer thinking, I want to see a bloody good website. I'm going to go find one right now. If you want a bloody good website and you want one for yourself, for your business, why don't you go check out our sponsors, pixelyetimedia.com. They don't just do websites, of course. They do loads of different things for your marketing needs, such as design, work, and brochures. And they do our website as well, wallsfancast.com. It's a really good design. We're really pleased with the work over at the guys at pixelyetimedia.com. So, again, you're looking at some websites, you're thinking, oh, I really want a website that looks that good just for me and my business. Why don't you go check them out right now at pixelyetimedia.com. Well, that's what I was going to ask follow-up season. Obviously, Wolves got back to the championship. Uh, Saka continues fine for. He was joint top goal scorer again for the club, and he was in the PFA Championship Team of the Year. But we talk about how uh, Dicko and Saka was great chemistry. Was the addition of Phobia then in that six-month period just the ultimate? I mean, we all talk about how we'd have loved to have seen that trio in the Premier League. Was that the ultimate step up? Was Phobia almost the missing piece of the puzzle to those two? I think looking at it, he was a a more of a... I was going to say more of a goal scorer than Dicko, but that kind of doesn't really do Dicko's just uh, goal scoring record any justice at all. Um, I feel like again, say it was that extra weapon where you know when them two were sort of switching between one another, a foe was almost this you know penalty box predator who would snatch up an opportunity when he got it. But they all kind of you know had this link up play that could drive them up the pitch um, at the same time and. You know, I think it was James Henry who was all Van La Power on the other side as well, who'd kind of provided that extra bit of an outlet. And I kind of think that, I don't know, in the summer where uh, Saka eventually left, if we'd have managed to keep Saka and maybe add somebody on the other wing who was probably a bit more of a step up than Henry, but more consistent than Van La Power, we'd have had a really strong front four, which would have probably matched the last promotion season we had with Kitely Jarvis, Iwalumo and Ebanks Blake. And that would have been a, you know, Sacco, Dicko, Fobi and one more would have made a really strong promotion push uh, from um, attacking quartet. How about you, Goody? Would you have liked to see that trio in the Premier League? Yeah, I, th- I think that, you know what, I-, I watched the 14-15 the uh, season review um, the other day and the the way they were playing together just felt like a Premier League kind of strike force. If we had a more, more robust side behind them, um, I'd have gone into. I think we would have got into the playoffs, and I think we would have um, probably um, got promoted from there as well because we had that momentum going to, towards the end of the season. I still remember the the final game of that season, which was obviously ended up being Sacco's last game against Millwall. Mm. And they they were just absolutely, you know, running riot. Yeah, they were brilliant that day. And Sacco's last goal, you know, it just kind of summed up the man. Right? The way he just um, received the ball off the short corner, does this disgusting um, drop of the shoulder and and smashes it into the back of the <laughs> net. Would, you just think... it, yeah, if um, one of the current players had done that, we wouldn't have stopped talking about it the entire no. season. That would be every single angle on the Wolves. Uh... 
Yes. Yeah. <laughs> People have forgotten about it. <laughs> that like would have been, been content lost. for a month. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And and you know that's been lost in in the kind of um, you know highlight reels of Saka, which goes to show that you know how many highlights he used to produce for us anyway. But I, I still think that was um, a Premier League uh, strike force in the making, which um, unfortunately we didn't get to enjoy at the top level. No, uh, what well, we're going to do, uh, kind of what happened to Sacco post Wolves in a second. But gentlemen, no, it was any kind of tidbits or stories or your own anecdotes about Sacco that you've got that uh, you want to share with us, uh, Gully? Any any stats or anecdotes yourself or tidbits you found out? Sorry, I, I forgot to mention about the Dicofobi Sacco trio. Um, they only actually featured for fourteen games together. Um, I had to, I had to look at the the stats. I did write a piece on it a while back. Um, and they won 10 of those, drew one, lost four. We scored 36 goals in those 14 Jeez. games, um, which is frankly ridiculous. Um, yeah, and, and it goes to have with Sacco spearheading it. I, I just think when we think about Bakri Sacco, he just had that kind of brutish, big kid in the playground um, attitude towards the game where it was just like, if he fancied it, he'll bully the whole back four by himself with a touch of absolute class and finesse as well and it was just an absolute joy to watch honestly I really can't I'm looking forward to writing my piece about him um, in the next few days because there's so much I really want to say you know that in terms of how much of a enjoyable watch he was uh, and it, and back to your kind of tidbits and any kind of facts or stories or in your own anecdotes that you found on Sacco. We talk about it being an entertaining show, but the diamond custard football boots is yes. up there for me as a baller move, if we're going to be honest, you know. Because, again, like, it sounds kind of harsh, but James Henry couldn't have pulled that off. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, you need you need to have a personality to, you know... To, to wear, you know, diamond-covered football boots. And then, you know, we've all played a bit of football not to, you know, get completely kicked up in the air for doing so. Um, you know, I mentioned earlier that I've sort of done a little bit of looking at um, stats on him. And, you know, he got, uh, what was it here? Yep, so he scored 38 goals in 124 games, which I think for Sonny played out wide in, you know, a... a, a poor championship team and incredibly good league one team and a good championship team again i think you know a one in three records pretty good going um in terms of the people to compare it to um i thought it's quite interesting that jota who you know plays out wide but also up front he's got 43 and 120 so slightly better but not great margins mm. uh costa in 109 games for wolves only scored 19 goals and uh, michael kitely um, played 127 games and scored 24 goals. So I think actually his record, again, I mentioned earlier, his output, I think it stands up to be, mm. you know, really good. Um, uh, um, this might sound controversial, but I mean, we all absolutely adore Adama Traore at the moment, but the one thing he's definitely not is as productive as Bakri Sacco. Uh, mm. And they yeah. had the same kind of appeal on the football pitch where, you know, you excited to have them on the ball, but Sacco produced, you know, you know, almost twice as much as as, as Traore yeah, does. Time again, um, a, a couple of uh, interesting tidbits I found was uh, he once got awarded the uh, goal of the month for Crystal Palace in uh, 2017. Um, it was only, it was notable because it was the only 
goal that they actually scored that month. Um, <laughs> and really unusual because I was sort of hoping. So I, I, I found it online. I was hoping it would be like a classic, like Sacco, you know, 20 yards out, just drilled into a corner. It turned out to be like a really scrappy header they scored. Um, a couple of other things that sort of reminded me, Sacco. Did he have like... <sighs> I'm trying to think of the best way of putting this. Did he give away a hilarious amount of penalties, or have I made that up? I kind of remember him being really unaware in the penalty box and like accidentally tripping people over, and then kind of just apologising and be like, "Ah, oh, you're just a winger. It's okay. It's okay." <laughs> I think he I did it doing once. That once. Yeah, yeah. Against I... Leeds. Yeah. And I think we we pulled a goal back right at the end. Danny Bart's got a header off a corner or something, yes. and yes. it was just like, "Don't yeah. let Sacco get into the box." And it, I... it was like you couldn't like. It was almost incomprehensible how, like, that, it, it, you know, you wouldn't do it on the halfway line. You wouldn't, definitely wouldn't do it on the boxing line. You just tripped up a bloke. Um, let's see. Did I have one more? The only other sort of thing I kind of had in terms of a tidbit um, was his, uh, the red card that eventually get um, rescinded against Watford yes. for what could be the... Genuinely, I don't think it was um, mentioned how poor a dive that was from Forestieri. And he ended up getting sent off. And it was like in the 89th minute or something. I'm not saying we'd have managed to have got, uh, you know, two extra points because that was in the promotion push mm. against, you know, a team who um, were up there as well. Whether or not that was a bit of a sliding doors moment. Um, but yeah, Forestieri being a shit, who'd have thought it? <laughs> <laughs> uh, Gully, any bits that you might have found out on your own kind of anecdotes or stories on Sacco? I'm told Paul Pogba has uh, pictures of Sacco hairdos on his uh, wall, bedroom wall. All right, okay. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Can't you tell? <laughs> Inspired by Bakery. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, no, not nothing particular. Um, I just think he gets a bit of a bad rep, and I know you're going to talk about the post Wolves years. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> nah, but, um, yeah. Um, a couple of bits from me. Obviously, what Rich mentioned about those boots, I think they were for his 100th appearance at Wolves against yeah, Brentford. Were, yeah. It was a uh, Swart, I can't never say this, Swarkovsky crystals. Swarkovsky. Swarkovsky crystals. I'm sure I found out as well that he was told he couldn't actually wear those. I think they were just like figure yeah. ones, and then he had to wear a different version for the. Uh, with the game itself, but on the Crystal Palace YouTube, I think there's a video where he goes through all these different boots. I think he's got a kind of a niche thing about he likes kind of custom designed boots. Uh, the one story I remember about Saka was when uh, we we were relegated to League One so to start the next season. Um, we Saka was the fan cast player of the season, uh, so me and the two Lukes went to the training ground to do the classic player of the season T-shirt. So we were there waiting for ages for him to come out to do the shirt. And when he finally just come out, I don't think he realises anything was even going on. He's literally walking out the door to go home. So the media guy at the time kind of kind of pulls him to one side and explains it to him. And I don't think Sacco's English was very good at the time. And you could tell, A, he just looked fed up being there, obviously what was going on. But he also had no idea what was going on. So there's me and the two Lukes asking him to hold up this T-shirt and have a picture with him. And you can just tell he hasn't a clue in the world. It was one of the most weird fan cast presentations we've done. I just always remember that, just him kind of uh, kind of standing there, almost like, yeah, okay, I'll I'll take a picture of the shirt. All right, okay, thanks, bye, yeah. 
Yep, so that was a strange one. Um, <laughs> post post Wolves live then uh, for Sacco. Obviously, he left it Wolves in the summer of 2015 after his contract ran out, and then he joined Palace as a free agent. He initially had a good start. He scored away against Chelsea. He spent three years at Palace scoring five goals, uh, but then he left again in the, as a free agent in 2018 and joined, sadly, Baggies. Uh, but then he did re-sign for Palace a few months later and made a few appearances, um, but then he had a short contract and that ran out. And a bit of a strange one then, after this, he, he seemed to join Turkish side Dennis Aspor, if I've said that right, uh, in the summer of 2019, but then the club then apparently cancelled the deal because of a failed medical, um, and now he plays for Cypriot side Pathos. Um, on Sacco in Palace, do you think he joined the Premier League too late, given his age and his position at the time? I, th- I think he... he <laughs> I think he joined at the right time, to be honest, because he was fully acclimatised to kind of British football at that point. Um, it was unfortunate, obviously, what happened with Wolves because I'm sure he didn't envisage having to go down a league when he first joined. But um, and I, 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 like you said, I do remember him making a really good start. I think they had um, a couple of other good wingers um, at the club, and he was always going to kind of be in the shadow of Zaha, in particular. Um, but injuries kind of took their toll, um, and on during his time there, um, and it's quite an unfortunate. Um, story for him in the end I think he, he had so much more potential to do well um, and like you say he scored a, he scored a couple of uh, really important goals I know he scored the winner against Chelsea um, as well so you know what might have been I think with the Palace fans I don't think Palace fans necessarily think too um, too negatively of him um, but he just wasn't necessarily a reliable presence because of his injury record Rich what do you think do you think right time for Sacco at the Premier League or do you think it, it, maybe if he was there a season or two earlier we might have seen the full potential of, of Bakary? I think he probably got to Palace at the tip of his potential um, I think you know we, we've seen enough of as Wolves fans over the past couple of decades that difference between Championship and the Premier League um, and you know, he oozed the ability in both of those divisions. Um, I think he might have just missed out on that little bit of, I don't know, extra nous or being, at, you know, kind of alluded to, you know, whether he was a luxury player, so to speak. And actually, he could, he almost could ride off the back that he could score goals fairly consistently um, in the championship, which he might not have been able to do. Um, so much in the Premier League. But again, you know, you look at his record for Palace and, you know, it's a definite step up, but I don't think he um, gave a poor account of himself. Uh, you know, as Goody said, he scored, um, you know, a, free, a few goals, particularly at the start that were really important, um, and match winners. Whether he, again, just didn't have that ability to be able to consistently do it, um, at the Premier League is a bit of a shame, but he almost just started putting up numbers of, of a, uh, politely as a lower Premier League winger, uh, so to speak, which was very much where Palace were and are. So I think he kind of hit the levels that we needed um, of him at that time. 
Uh, and then just to quickly wrap things up on this one before we get to the final question. Internationally, he had a fair run. 19 appearances and 9 goals for Mali. He also had an African Cup of Nations appearance. I always forget that. In that, was it that championship playoff promotion, well, play, playoff push season, he left for like a month and a bit in yeah. the middle of the season to go to, go to the <laughs> African Cup of Nations. Um, yeah, and then so a fair appearance internationally. Gentlemen, the final question on, on Bakri Sacco, induction into the Fancast Alternative Hall and Fame. Uh, Gully, I'll come to you first. Would Peak Sacco get into today's starting eleven? It depends on how you, you, you're speaking about him. Um, in that front three, I think he'd be a really, really good option. Yes. Um, would he have the necessary um, tactical uh, discipline that Nuno would request of him? Probably not. But I think he would be effective in this team in the Premier League um, for sure. Yeah, Rich, you've had the final say here. Uh, I yes, I think uh, Peak Sacco could make it into this team. Um, I think. To have him and Traore on the wings together is almost a FIFA fantasy. Whether it would work in reality <laughs> is a different matter for me. Um, but I think he'd appreciate having players, um, particularly someone like Johnny Otto, behind him to be able to help sort of create and manipulate the space. Um, and, you know, we've seen how well someone like Jimenez is about sort of joining others into play. Um, and I feel like. Sacco would really thrive off that, but I think Goody's completely right. The tactical intensity that uh, Nuno implements, I don't think he'd be fond of, uh, so to speak. But, you know, on a pure quality level, uh, at the peak of his time, yes. Okay, and there we go then. Bakary Sacco, the fifth inductee into the Wolves Fancast Alternative Hall of Fame. Uh, Thanks for listening. If you've got a suggestion yourself, for someone we should induct, one of those cult heroes that wouldn't necessarily make it into the traditional Hall of Fame, why don't you let us know, podcast at wallsfancast.com or get in touch with us on the socials, just type in wallsfancast and you'll find us there. Uh, and that's for this one. Uh, gents, thanks for your time once again in this lockdown period you're in. Uh, stay safe and I'll see you again soon. Whatever you're saving up for, a CD from Sandy Spring Bank lets you grow your savings at a guaranteed rate. Right now, earn interest at 5.00% APY on an 8-month CD special or 4.25% APY on a 14-month CD special. Learn more at sandyspringbank.com slash cdspecials. Minimum opening deposit to earn the annual percentage yield is $500 for the 8-month CD special and $2,500 for the 14-month CD special. Member FDIC.